Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from Cineworld where we've seen Parasite. Yes. Highly vaunted South Korean film. Palm Door winner. Palm Door winner from Bong Joon-ho. And it's nominated for Best Picture, I think. Yes. Uh, Best Director and Best International Film at the Academy Awards. Right, so we'll find out tomorrow. I think that... Oh, is that tomorrow? Isn't it? It's a Monday night, so maybe Tuesday. We'll find out Tuesday. Is it? I thought it was on the night of the... um, of the League Cup final, the Oscars. And when is that? That's like the 22nd of, October, of oh, February. Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, then we just have Oscars 2020. No, it's happening tomorrow. It's Monday 10th of Feb. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, so it's it, it's getting all sorts of praise. You know, you've, you watched it a while ago and you've been urging me to watch it. And I said, oh, I'll wait for it to come to the cinema. And I was expecting to have to see this at the Electric or the Mac yeah. because that is normally the case even with the Palm Door winners. Yeah. That's normally where they come. And I think I think it's... The Oscars nomination, of course, that has got it into Cineworld. Yes. You know, you wouldn't expect to see it there otherwise. No, and I'm very glad we did because the screen is so much larger and better. <laughs> and it was, and it was a very, very full audience as well. We saw this um, two o'clock on Sunday afternoon in the middle of a huge windstorm, and yeah, um, so and it was a very so good yeah, crowd. It really packed out the cinema. Yeah. So you've seen this once already. Why, why were you so keen to have me watch it? What you know, what is it you love about it? Well, it's almost like I want to ask you the question. So, you know, <laughs> what I what I liked about it is that I think it's I think I thought it was great. It's one of the few films that is focused almost entirely on questions of class, um, and yet it's not one of those, you know, realist small scale dramas. I mean, this is like almost like a thriller, you know, and it's very funny and comic and. And also, it's kind of generous, I think, actually. How so? Well, the film goes to great pains to show, and spoilers ahead from now on, how the upper-class people are nice. Yes. You know, so... That's not a spoiler. Well... (laughs) Well, let's let's actually just quickly say what it's about, then, and then we'll get to spoiler territory. It's about a, a family of... Almost homeless people. They're not, they're not homeless, but they live in this kind of subterranean dwelling. No, let's specify that they're not homeless because yeah. the film makes gradations. There are people much worse off than they are. Yeah, true. They've got their own f- flat. It's a basement flat. Yeah. Right? So so they're quite poor. They've just lost their jobs, which makes them even poorer. And they're trying to make money just by doing pizza cases. Yeah, Yeah, b- building boxes for pizzas and that sort of thing. And basically trying to finagle their way into whatever kind of money they can they just need um, a job yeah. but, the, but the, it's very kind of conspicuously shown that they have this window that looks out onto the street that's above them and their view in the evening is ruined by drunks pissing against the wall or puking yeah yeah so. um and then through a connection basically a friend uh, of the son of the family he is encouraged to lie about his uh, credentials of which he has none to uh, get a job as a tutor an english tutor for the daughter of this upper-class family that lives in a very nice place, and he does so, he gets this job, and gradually, during the kind of the first half of the film, he gets the other family members in as various roles, and they and it's the family that they're working for don't know that they're related. Uh, as far as they know, it's just the, you know he recommended her, she recommended him. Yeah, but they're they scammers be- basically. They yeah. scam their way into this. Home. I mean, it reminded me to some degree of shoplifters earlier on. You know, yes. I mean, uh, although Shoplifters was not a real family, it was the, not a related family, and that was part of the theme of that film. The kind of family can come from wherever. Yes. These guys are a family. Um, but it had that sense of being on the, you know, pretty much the bottom rung of society and having to take advantage of opportunities and lie and steal to, yeah. to survive. In fact, the mother has a sentence at one point where she says, about the upper class family. Yes, they are nice. They can afford to be. They're rich, right? Yeah. I, yeah. you know, kind of that. Or she's nice because she's rich, she says. Yeah, it's easy yeah. to be rich if you're nice. Yeah, like, whereas for people like her, um, there are other things to consider as well, like just getting by, getting along. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of where spoiler territory will come in. We're not going to, uh, you know, we will talk about what happens in the rest of the film, but, you know, the, the fact that kind of this family lies their way into working for this upper class family mm. um, is that's kind of the start that's the premise that's right? the start and it's very wittily done mm. and actually it feels almost like a heist film or something like that it's yeah. got that speedy funny witty kind of 
you know, um, tone at the beginning. Yeah, and very successfully realised, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say... it. Uh, that maybe implies it's almost like uh, knockabout, and I don't think it, you'd say that, but it moves very quickly. It moves very quickly, and, very and it's very smart, and it's very funny. Uh, so now we will... Yeah, spoilers yeah, are coming it. up now. So, I mean, I, I, well, I, I would say I don't really get what the fuss is about. Ah. I, oh, so you see, that interests me, because you are the second person... Oh, right. Uh, Someone else said To say that, yes. You know, a friend of mine on Facebook was saying how she didn't love it, you know. That's exactly my thought, right? It's not, I don't not like it, but I don't love it. And I wanted to love it. I mean, you were saying, when we were watching the trailers, I was saying, oh, that looks like shit, and that looks like shit. And you were going, oh, you're in such a bad mood. (laughs) (laughs) And and really, I don't think I was in a bad mood. I was just enjoying, you know. Um, But I know I wanted to love this, right? I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and... The reason that I kept putting you off and saying I don't want to watch it is because I wanted to wait for it to be at the cinema. That's right. where I wanted to enjoy it. Um, and I was, and I did enjoy that first half where they're lying to this family and working their way in and so on and so forth. Um, but I was waiting for it to kick into gear. And, and what I, do you mean by kicking into gear? Because I found everything almost as interesting and suspenseful uh, and actually even more thematically interesting than I did before because I caught different things so I didn't find any part of it suspenseful and I know I was supposed to you know when it gets into the kind of centerpiece middle part of the film that yeah. night where they the, the 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 previous housekeeper is there and then you discover she's got her husband hiding in there and then they're starting to discover things about each other and that sort of thing you know there needed to be well I could see how it was trying to create tension you know kind of hiding around the corner the family's there they're not supposed to know they're there are they going to catch them and so on but I didn't feel it Okay, I um, did. It felt kind of flat um, um, to me. I felt it the second time around, even. Yeah? Yeah. I did have moments of tension. And also the discomfort. So the upper-class parents are overlooking the window to see how their kid is doing. The uh, lower-class family is all hiding under the table. They begin to have sex. It's It's kind of weird and slightly creepy and... Very unsexy, right? But, yeah. Unsexy? Yes, I thought it was kind of... I thought it was quite sexy. Oh, did you? Okay, that's good. I didn't. They were wearing their pyjamas. She was saying, you know, turn this around. Like, you know, always on the right. Or So it was like... It didn't seem very satisfying to either of them. Oh, no, she was getting into it. Um, Oh, well, okay. Uh, (laughs) That's just my take on it. He was playing it like a guitar. And successfully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I thought they were into it. I can't All right. Well, I I didn't find it. Okay. I found it, and I kind of I related it to an earlier point where he says, like a Prince Charles kind of way, "What's love? Yeah, that you, do you love your wife? Well, you know what's yeah." And he says something mm. like, "In a way, or something." Yeah, like yeah, he says something like, "You can call it love." You can call it love, but it's it's yeah. not an out and out. Yeah, he's not crazy about her, and in yeah. fact. Afterwards, you realise he really is... What really turns him on is lower-class women, you know. Uh, There's a sentence uh, later where he pretends... Or he says something like, pretend you're wearing that woman's underwear or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. uh, so the underwear that the poor girl had left hidden in the car so that yeah, her father... Yeah, that he assumes comes from just some street trollop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think the film is full of interesting things like that, actually. I don't know. I struggle to find any of any of it enormously interesting, though. I mean, I could see... I knew... What I knew, vaguely speaking about it, was that it's this commentary on class. Yes. Um, that's, yeah, it's kind of impossible to avoid even that much just from the pipe and all that kind of thing. Um, so I knew this was this is kind of a class satire uh, to some degree, and I kind of saw it, but I... I didn't think it was... I didn't find it enormously interesting. I, well, I, got, I got the kind of upstairs-downstairs aspect. To like, I mean, I did like the, the, in the in the design of everywhere, the city and the houses, there's always an upstairs and a downstairs to everything, to the point that even the basement in the rich family's home has its own basement. Yeah. You know, that's secret even to the family. Uh, so everything is everything has this kind of signified upstairs-downstairs. You know, the, the house is on top of a hill, and, they, and there's, there's a lot of... There's emphasis on going up to it or down from it. Mm. to the rest of the city and that sort of thing. And Mm. aside from that, which I thought was spectacular throughout the film, it was like so kind of thought through and structured, there's also the question of sunlight, yeah? And there's also the question of windows, 
yeah the kind of like you know some people have access to a view some people are locked into a view you know some people are imprisoned through their view yeah so the first shot that you see of the family downstairs is almost of like prison bars yeah kind of yeah exactly you know so i thought all of that was like absolutely fantastic but and it's the comparison between the, the view they have from that basement flat they own mm. and the when they take over the house in the middle of the night pretending it's theirs the view they have on the the garden and and the, you know the the windows are much bigger there's no bars in front of them it's a pure, and it's like they're watching the cinema basically but all they're doing is watching the outdoors yes and so know. and all they crave is the sun so i you know, kind of capitalism today denies poor people even sunlight. So yeah. um, I, I kind of, I love that. And there were certain things that just had almost a visceral effect on me, you know, i.e. the whole thing about crossing a line, you don't cross a line, yeah, uh, with the chauffeur and, yeah. Mm. So there's like this invisible line that rich people decide what it is and can't be crossed and it's crossed at poor people's peril. And obviously, poor people don't even know what it is, right? And, you know, then there's that line where the one thing that crosses over. So, you know, so-and-so is very, talks a lot, but he doesn't cross the line. You know, but his smell does, yeah. right? And the whole thing about smell and poor people smelling and poor people being unaware that they smell. And poor people smelling f- for reasons that have nothing to do with them. Yeah, they yeah. have to take the subway or they have to live in a semi-basement with mold, right? Like, you yeah. know, and so something that instantly registers on rich people like you stink, right? Um, and it's the smell, or, or rather the dad's, the rich dad's commentary on the smell that leads the dad of the poor family to lose it and kill him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that, that's that moment. I mean, I thought that was, that was so, quite interesting because at that point they're essentially, they're really defending themselves from the, from the, the husband who's just coming out and starting killing everyone. But it's totally unrelated to him that that the poor father, uh, Mr. Kim, stabs the rich father. Well, to me, it made sense. And there's, there's been a lot of elements leading up to it, right? So, you know, this thing about people smelling, you hear it about three or four or five times, yeah. you know, and it's clearly bewildering and disturbing. So people begin to smell, you know, do I really smell that bad? Like, I don't notice it, right? And, and actually, the thing is, it's not personal. All poor people to him smell alike. Uh, and of course, you know, what a great insult and, you know, <laughs> and what a loss of dignity. It basically means kind of by virtue of being poor, you're unclean and stink. I mean, it is like, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a horrible insult. Really. And it is made explicit through when they're trying to work out why they all smell. Because actually the kid has said everyone smells the same. Yes. And they feel like they're going to be rumbled. And they say, we need to use different fabric condition or whatever. And, and the daughter says, no, it's the flat. We can't get it. It's the smell of the flat. Yeah, you can't get rid of the flat. Exactly. And actually... That's highlighted after when there's a monsoon or something and the rains come and the rains flood the flat. And actually, they not only flood the flood, flood the flat, but they flood it with shit, yeah. right? So it's all the shit goes into the basement, right? And the toilet explodes. And the toilet explodes and so on, which um, ostensibly is like a regular recurrence. You know, yeah. like it is something that happens. It's not just metaphoric. Though, of course, in the film, it's both something that happens and it's also symbolic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but of course, the two houses or the two dwellings have uh, a different experience of rain because in the flats, it's dangerous and they've left their window open and the place gets completely flooded. Up above, they can watch the rain. Exactly. You know, from the comfort of the And window. actually, it's significant that at the moment when, you know, they are in a civic shelter because the storm has ruined their flat, that's the moment that the rich people ask them to come uh, to a garden party, yeah, that's going yeah. to be like completely catered. So they live up on the hill. They're completely oblivious to what's been happening, mm. kind of below, um, and completely unconscious of it, really. So they're just interested in having their idea serviced, right? Which is kind of what the poor people are there for, it's just to kind of, yeah, you know, to provide a service, really, um, and their lives don't matter. So I thought all of that was kind of cumulative and it built step by step and it just flowed. It was, yeah, I, I, anyway, I was with it the whole time, really. And I was conscious because sometimes my mind would wander a bit thinking, oh, do I have enough food in the house or something? And then I had to tell him, stop, you're going to miss something. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so it more than kept my interest on the second viewing, actually. So, for example, there was the whole thing about the rock at the beginning, which is the gift of a friend. 
you know, and it's meant to bring luck. And also it's like a piece of rock that they gather off rivers, but also it looks like a community. It looks like a series of hills with houses in it, right? You know, and so there's this conversation about that, but the conversation also is that it brings luck. And actually there is a connection between how the family's luck turns, yeah, depending on how they treat the rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole thing about the rock. Yeah, like once they go upstairs to hit the guy with the rock, yeah, yeah, and they get rid of the rock, the fortunes of the family change from, you know, having gone really well, getting everybody getting jobs, to all of a sudden everybody's job being in danger, right? It's from that moment where they go beat up the guy who's pissing in their flats. Although so, he does put the rock down, doesn't he? He, ch- he exchanges it for a bottle of water. He does. But the rock is outside the house now, yeah? It's yeah. outside of its place and so on. You know, and then, of course, the rock becomes a weapon and, you know, then it gets put back in its place. Yeah, there's a whole kind of thing about the rock, you know, which I hadn't noticed before. The other thing that I hadn't noticed before is how um, the film owes a debt to Buñuel's Viridiana. Do you remember Viridiana? I haven't watched it. Oh, you haven't watched it? No, so I can't remember it. Okay. (laughs) Well, there's a scene in Viridiana where... um, you know, the the former nun who now, oh, you know, is part of this rich household accepts all these beggars into the house. And one night when, you know, all of the um, people in the house are outside to go to the dentist or to go into town or whatever, all the poor people take over the house. Yeah, and they turn it upside down, right? And, you mm. know, begin fucking behind the couch. There's a famous shot where, you know, they're all posed like uh, Christ the Last Supper, yeah, but the point is that, you know, they bring this carnival into the house and all the things they love, the, you know, the silver and, you know, the lace and tablecloth and everything gets completely destroyed. You know? And there's an element of that here, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I struggle to... I struggle to see really where all the praise comes from, though, because it seems... Um, I mean, it's, it sounds very churlish to, to put it like this, but it seems almost rudimentary. Oh, I don't think so. You are being churlish. <laughs> I mean, that is not rudimentary. I mean, even the way that the shots looked were amazing to me, right? So, you know, it's a modernist house. It's beautifully designed. So you ha- often what you have is something happening in the foreground on the left, you know, and then the screen or the architecture of the house splitting the screen almost in half, you know, and something happening in the background on the right, of which you can also see the window that goes to the outside, right? Uh, and and then even the reverse shots are frames so that you have kind of like this division. I thought it was fantastic, you know, visually. I mean, it wasn't ugly. You know, it's very elegant. But I, 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 not just elegant, expressive. Yeah, was it? Yes, I thought so. Um, okay, I didn't. I mean, I, I again, I, I kind of got. I think what what the imagery was pointing at and, and you know there's this thing there's this it, it becomes a running joke through the film that the characters say oh it's so metaphorical mm. talking about you know someone's art or something like that or talking about the rock uh, that, that he picks up it's particularly the young boy who says it doesn't he it's so metaphorical um, and I think it becomes a, a, a gag that is almost like self-referential or it's almost a gag on the uh, the film's critics mm. that you know it's, it's supposed to be metaphorical all of this but it, it kind of is and I think I appreciated um that, but I, uh, I, I struggled to like I, you know I kind of appreciate it on a sort of, um, on an intellectual level. You know, this is what this is showing me. I get what the the points of the these um, mirrored images or the images that come back. You know, the thing about the rain or the thing about looking out the window or the upstairs and the downstairs. And the, but I I didn't find it adding up. Well, too much. Um, to me it did. Not to an effect, you know. And by the time you get to the end and uh, and, and the impromptu party. And it's all kind of kicking off. I thought, God, this should—I should be finding this so thrilling or exciting. And and I, you know, when people got stabbed, it was kind of quite brutal. Uh, but I didn't brutal and funny. But I didn't it's respond. A bit like Buñuel. Well, I did. I didn't respond in either way. Actually, I didn't respond I mean, with come on. shock or you know, with the, one of the guys gets killed with a kebab that's full of sausages. Then the dog eats the sausages. Yeah, no, I got you know. it. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, I, okay, that's yeah. But I thought it was. I thought it was funny. I didn't respond to it though. I thought, <laughs> I'm to, yeah, it, I, uh, it, it did feel very flat to me. Um, um, well, I loved it, and I saw. You know, there were yeah, there were other things that became salient actually 
And one of them was the whole notion of performance yeah. that you were talking about, right? So it didn't occur to me on first viewing that so much is made of performing, right? So people learn their lines, they learn a script, you know, they memorize identities and who they are. They dress in a particular way. They make up things. Yeah, they, they, they learn their lines, they rehearse them, they speak them, not too high, not too low. There's a lot here about acting. Yeah, and performing kind of being. And, you know, the film is telling you in a way that, yes, that gets you the job and that gets you in places and so on. On the other hand, there's just your smell. No matter how you perform, yeah, and so on, there's just the smell of poverty, right? I thought that was all brilliantly handled. And that is yeah. a motif that runs through, yeah, kind yes. of all of the film. And it's worked through all of the film, actually. So um, I love that. There are parallels also between the relationships between fathers and sons, uh, which are kind of quite structuring in the film, and which I think is is really quite good. What did you make of the father and son? Well, you know, there's a whole letter to the son at the end, right? Yeah. You know, this thing, I will become rich and buy the house. And so, you know, the thing about, like, parents taking care of their children really becomes about, you know, how, how does the son rescue the father right yeah and then there's the whole thing with the boy and the rich boy and the rich father with the walkie-talkies looking after them yeah kind of all of that stuff right and then actually it's interesting that the two fathers wear indian gear at the end that i haven't resolved yeah i think there's a whole indian thing here that is meaningful but that i don't get yeah but nonetheless it's interesting there's the two fathers who are wearing the indian chief thing yeah um do you think he does buy the house at the end or is it a fantasy it's a fantasy it's clearly clearly a fantasy because then it goes back to the person reading the letter in the flats yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's a fantasy because you know how many years will someone like him have to work to get that house right Uh, on the other hand you know he is very bright and and actually you get the sense that he's bright and he's well educated i mean he's somebody who speaks english Right, you know, and um, who's clearly got good grades and so on and so forth. So I think it's like a real indictment of neoliberalism and capitalist structures in the world. I mean, not just South Korea. There's a reason why people are responding to this film as they are, like all over the world. Yeah, there's kind of like a kind of a basic infrastructure. I I read a, a meme somewhere that says, you know who your masters are? by what you're not allowed to say Mm. yeah and i think well in this case really like my masters really are exactly this class of people that's kind of made to seem so nice and so um unaware in this film really you know because i kind of i keep thinking well one of the solutions to the uh neoliberal kind of uh situation that we're all in is just kill rich people (laughs) right like you know kind of you don't have to kill many of them right but you know if you if you kill someone from the top 100 families already like a kind of a dialogue will change right of course you're not allowed to say that yeah it's probably not a good solution don't quote me on this right i'm just speaking (laughs) hypothetically here (laughs) yeah but those are the things that actually you cannot say in public you know Hmm. yeah well i mean everyone's everyone's talking about eating the rich that's a, that's a meme in itself. Yes, but it's not the same thing. So, for example, if if inequality, I forget what they say, right? But let's say if you know the top one hundred people in the world, you know, own like ninety percent. Well, if you kill a hundred of them, it's the top two hundred own ninety percent, and you've already halved inequality, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose. But my my point is, is it something that you can't say in public? Uh, I think you probably can't advocate for it on a realistic level, but yes. it is. But it's let an me idea say, that goes around. I'm not advocating it. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, it's an idea that that is Speaking absolutely in the air. Well, it's in the air, but it can't be articulated. Not on a real and not on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the film, in many ways, is dealing with these issues that are kind of on, on you know, on the one hand, obvious. I mean, it's articulating something that we're all feeling very strongly, or a large sector of the population is feeling very strongly, and that actually finds no articulation, yeah, normally. I mean, you know, this is a film of a class. There are very few films about 
specifically class, you know, and if there are, and they're British, you know, they normally revolve around like some working class people in a realist vein and, you know, finding love in family or something. Um, this, this is quite adversarial, quite funny. The, the genre is unexpected, you know, to have it as like a thriller comedy as opposed to like a kind of a, 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 a socialist realist drama is unusual. I mean, I think it's kind of quite marvellous, really. I don't know if it felt that unusual to me. I mean, the film isn't quite horror, but I think it's, it's certainly been advertised as though it's horror. Um, you know, I really get that's that feeling. Because it's not horror at all. I, I mean, really get that feeling from the advertising. It wants you to think of it that way. I mean, you had, like, in the trailer, that shot of uh, the mother, the rich mother, coming up the stairs and, you know, kind of looking shocked. It, like, the, that really had a feeling of what she coming across. And, of course, in the film, she's not... I don't know, Well, I don't even remember that shot in the film. But, I mean, the, the, the advertising, I think, really puts it out as though it's going to be in that in that kind of vein. And that doesn't uh, feel that unusual. Well, that's and, false advertising because, um, you know, this is not a horror film... It has nothing of the supernatural or the, you know... But, there, the but it's a home invasion film, ultimately. You know, and that's a horror trope. Uh, that's true. Um, but there are many... I mean, you know, it's a recent trope. Others going into another home is, you know, it's, an, it's a kind of an, a standard narrative trope that is not necessarily associated with horror. I'm not trying to claim that it is horror, but I'm saying that that's an element to it that I think is... I mean, that, that's that, it's in the structure, right? These people lie insidiously to get into this place, to work their way into these into people's lives, basically. Well, I think there are elements that I'm sure it borrows from that, but, you know, it's a suspense thriller, really, is what it is, I think, the film, you know, with, with hmm. lots of comic overtones. It's quite funny. But I didn't find that to be something that I would not expect to, to find uh, class commentary in. Really, is what I'm saying. You know, it didn't like you're saying it's very unusual to find class commentary in this kind of film. I okay. don't know that. What it is. other films can you remember? Recent films from the last five years or so that are explicitly about class. Explicitly about well, yeah. uh, pretty much everything in America that deals with race has class elements in it, and there's been an awful lot of that. Um, I mean, an enormous amount of horror, I think. Certainly in Britain, if you think back to the Riot Club, which is more than five years old, I think that was 2013 or so, when you and I saw that, although we didn't think much of the film, the fact that it was so brazenly about class and about attacking, mm. uh, you know, kind of the upper class's behaviour and attitudes and the way they structurally can get away with things was quite bracing, I suppose, in that film. Even Snowpiercer, actually, Bong Joon-ho's film, which again I think was 2013, which was the train one. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. You know, that more that is very much about class. More obviously than this, it has the whole left to right uh, and you work your way from the proletariat up to the leaders of society through yeah, yeah. all the stages in between. In That, that is true, but, but that is what I would concede. I mean, there's things like I, Daniel Blake or whatever, you know, but they are in that vein that I'm speaking about. I mean, I do think also that horror is the genre of the moment where these issues of race and class and gender are kind of, you know, being most greatly articulated. But shoplifters, as I said, you know, that I put that in there as well. Yeah, shop, but, um, but shoplifters... But it's, not, but it's not, it's not doing... I think what you're asking then is because shoplifters isn't doing it in a codified way. You know, this is, this is kind of, to some degree, coding what it's saying or doing so through, through metaphor. You're reading into who these characters are and what they represent. Well, I think, th- I think the film is like a comic thriller. Yeah. And it, it has a tone that I really do associate with heist films or something like that. Mm. Yeah, kind of clever, witty, suspenseful. And that, to me, is not normally associated with class, except insofar as, of course, if you see Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, or Thirteen, or films like that, then, you know, they're always robbing rich people. Right? But, yeah. uh, but it's not explicitly about class. It's about the heist. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Uh, Hustle always had a thing, which was the, the British TV yeah. uh, heist show that always had a thing about robbing the right people um, and they were very explicit about that and they weren't explicit that it was about class although pretty much everyone that they did steal from was upper class yeah. but, I mean they were obviously very well off themselves the gang that did it mm. um, but it was it was about you know robbing people that do stuff wrong and that kind of just went hand in hand with people who uh, are upper class and very rich mm. I mean also they rob very rich people because they're the people with all the money so. mm. I also liked you know, the parallelisms here between the rich family and the poor family, they each have two children. Yeah, the girl is older. 
um, I, I kind of I liked all of that. I liked that the uh, working class family is very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Or that the children are smart. The parents are ordinary, right? It's the children that recognise the opportunities as well. Yes. And, and, and work their way into it. And actually, it's the son in that scene who coaches the dad, isn't it, through that performance that's of, right. of finding out she's got TB. I love that. And I think, you know, that also conveys something about how poor families rely on their children in different ways. And the role of children in those families is different. I love that the women are mm. so smart. I love that, well, all the working class women really run everything. Right, kind of, you know, um, the upper class woman is shown to be very loving, but maybe not, not cynical. It's actually, that's another thing. They say she's not too bright, but I don't agree with that. I mean, she's always managing a million different things, isn't she? You yeah, know, they talk a, about her being simple, and I didn't really get I, that. I and I also think it's not fair to think of the family as gullible. Um, I think that that would be too strong a word for what they are. Yes. Um, they are too trusting, yeah. probably, and, and too, nice. e- too eager to believe these recommendations that, oh, this person comes from a great place and that you, you can rely on them. But yes. they, but actually, it is just a case of being nice. Mm. And also, I suppose, in need. Like, once they get rid of a drive, once they get rid of a housemaid, they need someone else to come in very quickly because the place is going to fall apart without them. Yes. Um, it's also an indictment of a corrupt culture in the sense that everything that you see kind of happens by recommendation. Yeah, it's always, yeah. you know, who you know, yeah? It's a friend of a friend of a friend who resolves the problem, right? Yeah, it's all connections. It's all connections, which I think is is connected to the world that we're shown, which is kind of a corrupt world and an unjust world, an unfair world, in which some people smell badly and some people smell <laughs> nice. So I loved all of that. And, yeah. and, and then I also loved, I mean, I found it funny in a kind of a black way, you know, even some of the brutal things in the staircase and the basement, the way that they're done, the f- former housekeeper comes up the stairs, you know, the other one is trying to serve the family ramen or something, and she sees her coming, just kicks her, <laughs> gives her a kick. Yeah. And that, you know, it's so, so funny. I thought it was so funny. Yeah, right. and, and it's, very, it's very sudden, and it's very violent. And it's very violent. Uh, and uh, that's, that's why it's so funny. Mm. So I thought there were questions of tone that were... I mean, my God, unlike that stupid film we saw yesterday, Harley Quinn or whatever it is. Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. You know, here, the tone is beautifully realized. Yeah. You know, at at each moment. So, I mean, it's my second viewing and I loved it again. What do you make of the relationship between the son of the poor family and the daughter of the rich family? It's a stereotypical one. Yeah. Yeah. It's ones that you see in Liaisons Dangereuse, right? (laughs) You know, uh, Keanu Reeves is the poor tutor who, you know, falls in love and has an affair or has sex with the rich person's daughter. You know, it's a cliche in, you know, our culture. But I think it's very beautifully done here, right? Like, there's a thing about truth as well, the taking of the pulse. And mm-hmm. the, yeah. So I The thought, heart doesn't lie. And the heart doesn't lie. There's also this insecurity. Do I really belong downstairs, right? Like... You know, will people see me for who I am amongst all these other people? You also see, like, an adolescent sexual needs and also a need for approval. Yeah, it's also gendered. He's a professor, but he's lower class. There's a lot of interesting things going on in each of those instances, actually. And what do you make of, generally speaking, the kind of coda of the film? I'm thinking from the point where the voiceover comes in and the son's talking about waking up laughing. The way things start to start to tie up there... Again, I kind of, I really liked it. And I, part of the reason why I liked it is that it, it, it complicated things. So if you see the, the family at the beginning imprisoned in their basement with people peeing on them, right? They're actually not better off at the end. You know, mm. I mean, they're in a slightly different place, but the family's broken up. One of them is dead. You know, the other one is imprisoned in this fancy house. You know, uh, one of them has ha- brain damage. The only one who kind of remains where she was is the mom. And then kind of a new goal is set. Somehow, you know, he finds out that the father is in this house. Now, how to get him out in a way that he could live a life. And the only way is really to buy the house. Yeah, because otherwise, like, you know, the father will be caught. Yeah. So, yeah, the only way he will ever get to see the sunshine again 
is if the son is himself so su- successful that he can buy the house, and that's left open. So, yeah. do you think? Do you think there's a uh, a moral message in here? Do you think they kind of have to lose? Because um, I think it would be interesting if they had somehow won, you know, and kind of got got what they wanted against the wishes of the of the society that that you know. Sort well, of... they both won and lost because that's the thing. From a very low, when you're so downtrodden, everything I think seems a little victory. So, for example, I was surprised that they weren't sent to jail. Right, the narrative structures it so that actually nobody knows what they did. Otherwise, they would be in jail. So on the one hand, they're lucky to have escaped with that much, yeah. you know, but that's just a measure of how punishing neoliberal capitalism is, that actually they're much worse off than when they started, but you're still thinking of them as lucky. Yeah, that's one, yeah I suppose that's a way to think about it. Well, how do you think about it? Well, I, mean, I was thinking about it more in comparison to what could have happened to them in like an ideal film, you know, because I think it would have been quite, it would have been extremely black and dark to have them uh, kind of unequivocally win things at the end. I don't know exactly what that would look like, but but a feeling of them having uh, kind of been in a much better position than they were at the start um, and the rich family having lost, there would have been something very darkly funny about that, I think. Well, and, so, and so the fact that it didn't go that way, the fact that they end up in this worse off position... I mean, again... Kind of made me think, oh, that's... Oh, well, actually, didn't didn't feel... Didn't feel that imaginative, maybe. It didn't feel as bold as it might have. Again, you know, I think it's an interesting perspective on our culture. Uh, poor people die all the time and are really killed by this system, you know, of which... A few, like the upper class family here, benefit. And I would say killed. Yeah, not, you know, so housing conditions can kill you. Yeah, kind of, Mm. yeah, mold, lack of medical care, and so on kills you. But actually, the idea that you could just kill those rich people and take over is unimaginable. (laughs) You know, and actually, that is maybe the limits of the film. It actually doesn't imagine that for us. That does not happen. Yeah. You know. And I want to I want to kind of get your thoughts on the party scene when it kind of explodes Unravels. into violence. Yes. What did you make of that? Do you think it was exciting? There's not a lot of focus in there on the everyone else at the party. Well, there's a little bit, and actually, that I thought I would love to read a Korean critic on it. You know, because the things I remember more vividly from it is the classical orchestra singing. I don't know what it was. Classical music, yeah, in French, huh? Highly cultured, highly refined. So that's one end of that. The other end is the American Indian thing, yeah, which the child is obsessed with and which the parents play. Um, and also, what's interesting about that is you have a whim in the morning, and then you have the means through which to realize it, you know, in half a day with dozens of servants, yeah? So mm. the whole thing is catered. They've got waiters, They, yeah? And everyone else that they're inviting has the time to drop whatever they're doing and, and come. show up. Yes, please don't bring presents is a continued line, right? Um, so, I mean, I was, I was kind of fascinated by that whole thing, and they're all outside, and they're all there in the sunlight, and then, you know, this person who worships the head of the family, yeah, comes from the basement and ends up killed <laughs> and unknown, yeah. So, mm. and also I think it's worth mentioning his wife, yeah, because they obviously have a very loving relationship. They're there through extremely dire circumstances. They're making do, you know, they're both kind of clearly good people. And actually, you know, it's not just that he's kind of like a nice person, but also... He's completely besotted with the rich guy who he thanks for making the miserable life that he has <laughs> possible. Yeah. You know, so I, th- I think the film is full of intricacies like that. I mean, I haven't worked them all out, but, you know, I think it's got things that resonate. Fair enough. I, I, was, um, I was a bit uh, 
a bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes you just don't get it. Sometimes you just don't really see the fuss. Um, and that that is kind of how I feel about it. Like there's nothing I don't like about it. It just didn't resonate with me. Sure. Um, I didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm very keen to read reviews on it because I want to know. Because I, I mean, I doubt I'll find many uh, negative ones. But I'm keen to read what people are it's going And I, I kind of get the feeling that what everyone will talk about is stuff that I saw and just well, didn't, didn't respond to. I mean, if to take this conversation in a slightly different direction. Yeah. You know, if I'm thinking of the foreign films that I've loved and that have a particular resonance with me, but that I also think are superior and that I hope win the Oscar, though I doubt they will, I'm thinking of Almodovar's Pain and Glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that, and I loved um, it more. Uh, so, least, though it's not a it's not a value judgment in that way. You know? Yeah, um, I did love it more though, um, but I think this is also this is also great. So. Well, let's have a look at what's been nominated. Best Picture nominees. I mean, there are some rubbish films in here. So, well, there's ten. And films so. that films that deserve, you know, films that this deserves to, uh, more respect than Ford v Ferrari, which is fine, but really it's fine, but it's not on this level actually. The Irishman, which is a cracker, but it has real problems. I hated the whole um, CGI rejuvenation technology. I thought it was very off-putting. I still think it's a cracking movie, though. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, which we yeah, detailed our many very problems middling. with. Joker, which we will continue to never agree on, I think. Yes, I like it, think... but I, th- I also think it's not even on this level, actually. No. I mean, you take Joaquin Phoenix's performance out of that picture, and there's nothing as interesting in the film as in this film. Oh, I think even with Joaquin Phoenix's performance... Okay, so <laughs> there you go. You know, uh, I mean, he's, he's nominated for Best Actor as well. And I was saying on Facebook the other day, it's a, it's a, it's a crime that he's nominated for Best Actor and Adam Sandler isn't for Uncut Gems. These are, well, this, this is just a different... My level. view on this is that Antonio should win anyway, so... <laughs> oh, Antonio. Like Antonio you know him. We're like this. <laughs> uh, Little Women is nominated for Best Picture. I love it. Which I, I can see why and respect the... Uh, decision. Yes. How's <laughs> that for diplomatic? <laughs> Marriage story again. I, I I get what people mean about that. Like I loved it, but I heard I overheard someone saying oh, it feels like a TV movie, and I also kind of understand that, you know. Mm. But I I actually think that what the person meant by that and what is different from what I feel, which is there's almost nothing visually interesting about it. However. The complexity of the dramatization and the acting, to me, puts it at a completely different level. Yeah, like that's a very good way of putting it. Um, uh, Nineteen Seventeen, which is all about the visual. It is, and it's probably going to win. I would have thought. Well, I also feel. I mean, I liked it very much, as you know, but I also feel it's not really a great film. Yeah, I think it's got beautiful cinematography. Um, but it's not a great film, and actually, I think the gimmick of the, you know, the moving camera was not always justified in my view. The single take, rather. yeah. So I wouldn't rank it that high. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. I love that. Which is a cracking movie, mm. um, and I think we both really loved it. And I, I wouldn't be, you know, um, I, I wouldn't mind if that one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really impressive bit of work, and it's, and I think we said at the time like that's the film where you really feel this is the film that digs into everything Quentin Tarantino knows and loves more than anything else and it's yeah. and for that reason it's to his most interesting and his most lovable yes I think. I think so and the other one is Parasite which we've just seen uh, Pen and Glory not uh, nominated actually Bong Joon-ho's up for best director against Martin Scorsese Todd Phillips Sam Mendes and Quentin Tarantino I wouldn't mind if uh, he won I th- do you think it'll be one of those things where the where the film doesn't win but he does where it splits it up like um that? I don't know. You know, to me, the thing is that I love Scorsese, but we've seen this before from Scorsese, actually. And without, I think it was a real mistake to use that CGI technology. I wish he would have used a different cast, like in The Godfather. And it's not a film that I found myself dreaming about later or wondering about, you know, like, Mm. you know, those films you really want to see again and they're just lingering in your mind and you want to, you want to, resolve them in your head or I don't know find out more about them or something um, I haven't felt that about 
Scorsese's film. I found that about the end of it, you know, that final half hour that we were talking about where where it, it brings you into the modern day and everyone's gone and all that kind of thing. I mean, I was talking to my brother about it and he said, you know, with that final shot, it's Christmas and he's got no one there and the priest leaves and my brother made the point that like for Scorsese, that's massive, that's like God leaving. Mm. You know, he doesn't even have that in his life. It's, um, know, it's a very it's- painful, sombre ending to that. You remember we saw The Missionary, or what was the other Scorsese film? Um, the one with Adam Driver, The Silence. Silence. We didn't see that together. Ah, okay. Um, you know, because I thought, you know, that was so boring. Um, <laughs> but actually there were images and things that just stay in your mind, you know. Yeah, so it, it almost made me want to see it again. Um, but actually with The Irishman, I, haven't, I really haven't felt that. You know, and for me, that's a sign. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah, you know, so um, it's almost like, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't debate this marriage because really, like, one viewing wasn't, yeah, was enough for you to, like, shut off. So maybe it's something about you and the film rather than the film itself, but I'm just not interested. Fair enough. Let's quickly look at best actor, Antonio Banderas. He's my top. Oh, your love. The I heart love. is a warehouse for feelings. <laughs> Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's the one I would want to see win. I would love for him to win. I as think well. it's his most complex, or it's the most complex performance, and it's most interesting. I think he's such a great actor as well. I mean, you know, I couldn't put one performance against the other. Um, no, actually, that's not true. I do think Antonio Banderas' uh, performance is better. It's deeper. It's more complex. Um, but maybe that's also because it's on a different register. I mean, yes, you know. Uh, so maybe it's hard to judge. I don't know. I love I love Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, but I think Antonio Banderas, like, you know, both visually and also just vocally, right? Like, he's just so extraordinary in this. I can't imagine anyone conveying such ruefulness, sadness, you know, like this thing about aging and aging as a queer man and, you know, the sense of loss and, you know, feeling incapacitated... It's a really layered performance about kind of things that hurt. Whereas, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, which is very clever and wonderful, is so much about image types. Yes, this is how you act, 1960s television, right? Yeah, well, like, the, the, I would say the central kind of difference, the word register, I think, is completely apt because uh, Banderas is feeling mm. his performance. It's a deeply felt performance. And there's something kind of quite organic about it. And DiCaprio, I'd say, is, is more technical. You see these technical differences okay. between the kind of versions of himself that he plays. Well, that to me in itself, your description of it would be a marker of how Antonio Banderas is the better performance. Adam Driver in Marriage Story. I love him also. I wouldn't mind if he won as well. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Joker. Yeah. Yes, I think he's great as well. And Jonathan Price in The Two Popes, which... Um, I haven't seen, so I don't know. I watched the first 20 minutes, but I was watching it at work and it's highly subtitled so I just I couldn't pay the attention to it so I'll watch it later at some point but it was quite entertaining from yes. what I saw so far well um, my vote would go to Antonio Banderas best actress Cynthia Erivo as Harriet Tubman Ugh, I we hated that performance <laughs> Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story I liked it but it's I also don't think it's the equal to Adam Driver's performance in the same film so mm. oh, that's interesting Saoirse Ronan as Joe. I love I loved her, though I prefer Catherine Hepburn's Joe. But she's in, not up for an Oscar this year. In the 1933. Well, but it's just a marker that, yeah. yeah, actually you do think, you know, so if it's the same role and you think somebody's better, that's already saying something. Possibly. It's um, saying something to me. <laughs> yeah. Saoirse Ronan is very attractive and appealing and so on. But she's not bringing, you know, that dimensions to the role that Catherine Hepburn did in 1933. Uh, Charlie Theron in Bombshell as Megan Kelly. Uh, nothing. Out. <laughs> uh, uh, it's the film's fault. But also, I, you know, I kind of... Yeah. It's an impersonation. We've seen her do it before better with Eileen Warnos or whatever, right? A monster. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland, which I thought was wonderful. I think it is wonderful, but it's also... Well, I suppose she's my favourite, really. I mean, what are the... Yeah, I, I, I hope she wins, yeah. I, I'd certainly out of those five, I would I would say her. I, I loved her, and I think, you know... I think I said at the time, like, not knowing the real Judy Garland of that era, kind of intimately at all, 
uh, I didn't see. I, you know, I saw. I saw where the where the uh, stereotypes, the impression came from, but I didn't um, have problems with it. You know, that I might have picked up on otherwise. Yes. And actually, I just felt it was. I don't think it was a deeply felt performance actually in the way. Yes. That, you know, maybe not to the extent that Banderas was, uh, but I think it's on. It's working in that same kind of way. It's true. Though again, I think of all those actors, including the women, I think Banderas to me is my favorite performance. And the other thing, Parasite is up for apart from the international films, is Best Original Screenplay. And it's up against Knives Out, Ryan Johnson, Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach, uh, 1917, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson-Kenz, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. It's an interesting one. Yeah, it's almost like you can't compare. I mean, to me, Knives Out is a trifle, so I wouldn't even put it in that category. Yeah, For me, that would be between Marriage Story and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I yeah. think those are the most impressive... On the page. Yeah, and I'd go for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, actually. I think I might go for Marriage Story out of those two. No. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is kind of huge and unwieldy, and you feel like there's, he's marshalling an awful lot of character and story and era and that kind of and thing. And knowledges. Uh, yeah. Um, and, he make, and he makes it work very beautifully. But Marriage Story is, is wrestling with all this subtlety of feeling and relationships and that sort of thing. And that's I think that's true. very impressive. Well, certainly Marriage Story moved me more. Yeah, mine. There's not an awful lot to be moved by in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know. <laughs> you know, but that's... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the rest are... Who cares about animated feature films? It's probably going to be Pixar. I oh, know they haven't released a film this year. Oh, yeah, they have Toy Story 4. It's probably going to be Pixar. Well. Anyway. Um, let's leave it here. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm upset that I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. Because I really... I, as much as you think, oh, I went into this in a bad mood, <laughs> I went into this with... Not an open mind, a, a, a mind that was really looking forward to it and wanting oh, well. to feel how great it was, and I felt kind of um, nonplussed to some degree. Okay, well, you know, I, I liked it very much the first time around, and I liked it, if anything, even better the second time around, actually, so... Yeah? Yeah, I did. Fair enough. I'm looking forward to reading what, what other people have, have written about it, because it is, it is one of those where you go, okay, what did I miss? Yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Mm. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>